Welcome everyone, this is Mr. Santos again, broadcasting for all the world throughout Spotify and Anchor FM. Tonight we're going to, well, it's night here, <laughs> tonight we're going to talk a little bit about schools. I've seen that one of my episodes with more uh, views is the one referring to uh, being an English teacher in, in Chiapas. Chiapas is in the southeast of Mexico. It's a very important state. Uh, Tuxtla, the capital city, is um, very... Um, Well, we can say that it's a very warm place because people like foreigners, uh, foreigners and they like uh, going to English schools for learning. It's a city with a lot of students. There are many universities and people from other parts of the state come up to the capital to study the language. So it's a good place to open an English school or for uh, people willing to come and work as teachers. I've been working as a teacher for the last 22 years, officially. I say officially because I started before being a professional and uh, I started teaching when I was quite young just because I knew the language. But obviously there are many things that you have to learn besides the language, which is uh, teaching strategies, uh, learning about learning styles and well, a whole bunch of uh, methodology and things that you need to know if you want to become a professional language teacher, which obviously takes college preparation to acquire. So uh, this takes me to the first question. Who are the teachers in Chiapas? Well, now um, I can say that the field is very professionalized. And back in uh, 2000, 2001, when I started, I remember the State University was graduating their first class of professional English teachers. Before that time, most teachers had only a um, diploma that said they could uh, speak the language and uh, we had a teacher's diploma by uh, the University of Cambridge. It's like sort of a training. Uh, I have that diploma, obviously, because I began teaching before the year 2000. And, uh, Before there were a professionalization, most people were people who had uh, lived abroad for a certain time and after coming back, they got into the teaching field. They were hired by schools. I have to say that uh, about 20 years ago, there were only uh, two or three schools that were uh, widely recognized. If you compare to the ones we have now, I can, I can talk about maybe 12 schools that are um, completely established here, though the ones that did it first continue to be uh, the most important and, and the ones that are more popular. But I have to say that they are the most expensive as well. Um, so the teachers in the schools after the professionalization started to be these uh, graduates from, from the language degree in the university, which was very good. But I have to say that there were a few who graduated knowing a lot of pedagogy, but their English wasn't quite good. So uh, that somehow lowered the quality of uh, language teaching in the, in the state for quite a while. My, I must recognize that many of these people have made a big effort uh, on uh, getting their English better. They have taken courses and uh, throughout that time, they have become very good teachers and some others have just abandoned the teaching path and they have entered into uh, government offices or stuff uh, where they do something related to language, but not exactly language teaching. 
The second one is the non-professional teacher. Yeah, I said the first one is uh, the, the one who learned the language and professionalized by taking the uh, college degree in language teaching. The second type will be the people who speak English very well because they spend time abroad too, but they, uh, contrary to the first type, have come and they have started teaching without knowing everything about pedagogy or without knowing very much about uh, what teaching involves, uh, which was my case in the beginning. I, I didn't know much, but I used books to find a path to follow, and uh, I decided to make it my career when I grew up. I started back when I was 13 years old. Yeah, I was a teenager and I was helping uh, my mom's friends who were uh, ladies who didn't want to go to a school. And, and they didn't want to be in the, same, in the same classroom with teenagers. So they say, why don't you teach us English? And I said, well, I speak the language, I can teach you some. But I wasn't an English teacher, <laughs> okay? And what is the third kind of English teacher? Well, the third kind of an English teacher is the native speakers. Uh, there are plenty of people who come from many different parts of the world. Not all of them are native speakers of English, but they are foreign people. And uh, there are very good people who come here with the best intentions. But I have to say that uh, not many of them are successful. And I, I've seen a couple of cases that are very beautiful because some people try to become a teacher only because they were native speakers and they got into a class and they were totally destroyed by the students and they couldn't even answer their questions. It's, it's something embarrassing, but just understand something. Uh, my native language is Spanish, and I can teach you some Spanish too because that's, that's my native language and I have uh, some studies in the language. But for the normal language user, uh, you know how to say things, but maybe you don't really know why you're saying those things and why you are conjugating verbs like that or why is that collocation operates in that manner, uh, especially in, in Spanish because uh, it's, it's a bit difficult and I... I have to say that not all the people who speak Spanish speak Spanish well and they don't know why they do things or they say things uh, such as irregular verbs or irregular tenses and so they wouldn't be able to teach Spanish. They will teach you a few phrases but once you get to an upper intermediate level and once your questions get deeper it will be very hard for them to keep up with your questions. I don't think they can answer in, in a satisfactory manner because they don't know the grammar. So this very same case is with the native speakers who came down to Chiapas to become an English teachers. Uh, requirement number one is speaking the language, but uh, knowing how to teach the language and knowing grammar uh, at a level that is uh, well explained in a manner that people will understand what you're saying, it's another story. So uh, sometimes they ask me, is there such thing as a native teacher? Well, there are native speakers, but not native teachers, because uh, you cannot be born a teacher. Sometimes you have the calling, you have the talent, and, and, and you want to be a teacher, but you definitely need to acquire all the skills that uh, college formation brings. Now, something I have, to, I have to tell you is that another question that people have asked me um, as an English coordinator, uh, especially when they see the payroll. They shouldn't see it, but sometimes they get to see it or they get to know it because they comment along. And the, the question is, why are native speakers paid twice as much as ESL speakers when they work as teachers? 
Well, uh, being very honest, they are more commercial. <laughs> it's like uh, all the students want to be in a room with a native speaker, so a speaker of English. It's like all of us, we want to do that, and we, we really like talking to people in English, and we love the language, and we love the learning. And if we have the experience of talking to a native speaker of English, we, we really appreciate it. So when uh, school uh, shows they have native speakers as teachers, they become quite much popular. It's very, very much more popular than having uh, teachers from, from here, even if they are professionals with a college degree that, that says they are prepared for teaching the language. It will never be the same, and I understand, because we have accent. I mean, the, the people who learn the language as a second language will always have an accent depending on where you got your English and where you were to, to um, uh, learn it. So, uh, when you have a native speaker, you have the, the double chance of acquiring the language, uh, of getting vocabulary, and also uh, to, to pronounce in a way that people will understand. It's very, it's very difficult, and I think this will be for another, for another post in the podcast, but it is very hard to decide which uh, accent your students should uh, have. I think it's very interesting, so I'm going to save it and I'm going to develop it in, in a wide manner in another podcast because that's very interesting. Many people have asked me, okay, so uh, at the end of the, of the course, are we going to speak like Americans, like British, like Canadians, like Australians, or like what? Well, the answer will be in that podcast. <laughs> I'm going to try to have it soon because this is, this is something really, really funny. So that's why. Uh, it's very sad. Uh, in my opinion, it's not really fair because uh, uh, the fact that native speakers are paying more is something that I, un I understand, but not to the extreme that some of the schools in Mexico take it, that they pay twice as much or even more. And, and this is not fair because you're doing the same job. You are assisting the same students. You are into a classroom and you are planning your lessons and you are working your back of all your, all your classes. You're talking. Well, you, you are under the same pressure and uh, you have to study more and prepare more for the lessons because it's not your native language. So being paid the same or just a little less would be okay for uh, ESL speakers, but not being paid the half or less. That, that's not uh, something I consider fair. But I agree to the point that native speakers living in uh, Mexico or living in Chiapas, as this is the case, have more expenses because they are away from home and they want to go and get to know the, the surroundings and also they are uh, bringing this uh, extra value to the school so why not yeah it's okay to pay more yeah so this is not a discussion on uh, why schools pay more to them they, they can be paid that money that's all right but not to uh, let the schools pay that little money to the people who are professionals too and who are uh, doing exactly the same job as a native uh, speaker is doing in the classroom. I think that that is my point over there and I leave it up to you. You can share your opinions so you can tell me what you think about it but this is what I have observed and my career is quite long so far so I've been a coordinator in many different language schools and this is the constant. It, it always happens. Now 
For working here, if you're a native speaker, you need a special form, it's called FM3, which is a permit that you have to get for working. It's, it's like a working visa and you have to pay taxes for it. Now, do all schools comply with the legal requirements for their foreign teachers? Uh, I've only seen only one <laughs> of the very many schools I work for. I've seen only one doing it. And uh, that was actually probably the best school I've worked for because it was a school with uh, a very, very high quality standards regarding the teachers, the seriousness of the lessons, and, and the progress of the students. So I also uh, could observe that they helped teachers uh, getting all the paperwork for legally uh, living and working here in Chiapas. It's something that I cannot say about uh, other schools where I work, but I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm not going to tell more, but I want to assume that most of them uh, do it. So, uh, is Mexico a really a paradise for people willing to learn Spanish and teach English? No, not a paradise, and it depends on where you fall. There are a few schools who treat their teachers very well, and you have accommodation that is decent, you have nice uh, places and, uh, for a one-day trip or for a weekend trip, and uh, you get uh, well paid. But not all the schools do that, and some of the schools are not very honest when paying, and they don't pay on time. And I remember a teacher I had, uh, she was from, uh, oh my God, I don't remember, but her name was Nicole, and I, I remember she was always mad at me because I never had her pay in time. I, I was the coordinator only, so I had to rely on my boss, the, the owner, to give me the money for paying. And it was a real struggle every every two weeks that we had to get the money to pay the teachers and they were always delayed. So um, no question why all the teachers hated me, which I was the, the face in front of the company. So wow, that, that, was, that was really disgusting, but it happened. And, and it's something that happens at many schools. Yeah, uh, some of schools pay regularly, they pay punctually, but there are a few who will pay a few days later or uh, even one week later, and that's because they don't have a good administration and they depend on the students' tuitions, which is what the business is about, right? But you have to save something to pay your main expenses, and the payroll is one of the main expenses, if not the main one. But there are a few who administer schools, spend all the money, and when the time for paying teachers come, whoops, the money has flown away, and we have to wait until the cashier collects enough money from the tuitions of the day to start paying the teachers one by one. And it's, it's really, really uh, a pain in the neck for the coordinator. You don't guess how much. And obviously for the teachers, because you cannot make plans. And you, you know, it's not nice at all. So, uh, what are some of the main problems native speakers face when they come into Mexico for working as teachers? First, the paperwork, if you want to do it legally, it takes a little time, <laughs> a little more than it should. Uh, now that we have the pandemic, well, you, you should be very careful and, and you should see if the places you're visiting are following the, the rules and, and the protocols. But uh, sometimes people see you and since they know you're from another country, 
they try to give you everything more expensive than normal and they try to get some money and you can be a victim of the crime too because uh, people will see uh, you know a foreigner walking in the street maybe you got some money on you so you can be robbed the, the thing is that you, you should learn which places you should go and which places you shouldn't like in every city in the world there are parts of the city that not even locals visit so you should get informed that to avoid a disgusting experience regarding that uh, security is probably the main uh, problem that uh, foreign people will will uh, face when they come here because you will feel insecure and, and it's, it's not really safe but you can get used to it too so it's like I, I cannot say that the US or Canada are a paradise regarding crime but it's uh, a little bit more dangerous let's say and uh, the other one is that you cannot be eating at stalls in the street you cannot be eating everywhere you have to decide on where to eat because uh, not everything is legal therefore and not all the restaurants and not all the stands have the uh, proper supervision so you can get seriously ill if you're eating in the street so um, would I recommend someone um, to come in Chiapas and live the teaching experience in, experience in Mexico I would definitely do it's something really nice it will open your eyes to many things because Mexico is the door to Latin America but we're somewhat very different to, to Central and South Americans I think uh, you will have a nice experience you will feel the warmth of the people in Mexico and uh, if you um, make plans and you make sure of uh, going to the appropriate place then it's gonna be uh, the experience of a lifetime really I, I think you won't regret but you should make sure that you do things in the right way and if something uh, you know smells fishy you better don't trust and try to find another school to to go and work all right so this was just a quick comment on having an evening afternoon having my cup of coffee here the the temperature in tuxla now is 28 degrees celsius so it's a little hot yeah but we're in we're in winter <laughs> it's it's a another uh, positive thing that here there is no ice there is no snowing uh, rain well little rain when the time for raining is this is in summer but most of the year we have a very 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 uh, pleasant weather so you can enjoy of uh, wearing your shorts and sandals all year long thank you so much for uh, listening to this podcast my name is mr santos and i hope to see you soon in another podcast episode thank you very much I think it was very interesting to hear uh, your old story. Um, I didn't know how many problems there was back in those days where you were dealing with all the issues about teaching, all the issues about students who weren't um, encouraged to learn another language. And, and I think the problem of uh, being a teacher of a language, I mean, if you don't have the skills, if you didn't have the the, um, the tuition, well, it's the same in all the languages. I remember when I was studying Italian, back in those days, um, the university brought a Italian teacher from Italy. 
and he didn't know how to how to teach. So I didn't pay much attention to Italian. Well, take care, teacher. Bye-bye. These are some comments of some of the listeners. Remember, you can also send your comment in voice and it will be played in the next podcast. Thank you very much for listening.